Isn't it wonderful we have a First Amendment so you can say whatever is on your mind and then get fired? For instance, a 72-year-old journalist named Hugh Heckman was canned by PBS NewsHour Weekend for remarking that then Meghan Markle, now the Duchess of Sussex, was, quote, not bad, unquote. True story. Heckman was apparently looking at a photo of the hot little soon-to-be duchess when he made the remark to a male colleague and was then fired because his female colleagues took the comment to be sexist. Heckman is suing PBS, saying when he remarked that the smoking royal babe was not bad, he was not at all referring to her deliciously slender yet subtly curvaceous figure or her breathtakingly alluring legs or even her seductively charming face and definitely was not imagining what it would be like to crush her naked body against him in a powerful yet affectionate embrace that would leave her gasping with wonder and pleasure. But in the real-life language of his lawsuit, he merely, quote, intended to convey that the Duchess possessed charm and beauty and was a suitable match for her fiancé, unquote. Heckman says his female colleagues may have mistaken his intentions because they were a bunch of screeching harridans with pinched little censorious minds steeped in the insidious error of the foul philosophy of feminism that has curdled their once womanly souls into frothing pools of hate-filled acid. Uh, Maybe Heckman didn't say that. Maybe it was me. In any case, Heckman is only one of the people who have lost their jobs recently due to militant political correctness, also known by its technical term, ravening anti-human loathsomeness. Megyn Kelly was also fired after she questioned whether it was always wrong to wear blackface when dressing up for Halloween. Shunned and out of work, Megyn has been forced to earn her living by standing at a freeway entrance hoping to coax spare change from nearby drivers with her minstrel show rendition of Old Black Joe. Which is excellent, though, as it turns out, the blackface is a little much. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh. All right. Happy November. We're here. You're probably wondering why I am sitting in this kind of dark cavernous place instead of my usual studio. And yes, I have been cast into the exterior darkness where there is great wailing and gnashing of teeth, which we'll be featuring later in the show. Actually, I'll I'll explain it all to you in just a minute. But first, we have to talk about Lightstream. I know that the holidays are coming up. You're going to start using your credit cards. And one of these days, you're going to look at that uh, balance on the credit card and say, uh-oh, now you're going to have to pay the incredible rates, the, cre- the interest rates that are on credit cards. We all do this. We all forget that they really do charge a lot of money. But Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 6.14% APR with AutoPay. So you can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate, and no fees. Plus, they're a division of SunTrust Bank, one of the nation's largest financial institutions, so you can have complete peace of mind. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew. That is L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Andrew. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes a point. 5.0% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Andrew for more information. So 
we are here. Uh, why are we here? We're here because the, we, they are redoing the building in which our studio is located. And so we have come into this other building, which the Daily Wire now also owns. So think about this for a minute. I've been cast out here uh, into a situation that's very much like it was like when we began, which is, I don't know, it's, it seems like about 20 minutes ago, but it was maybe three years ago when we started out. And now the Daily Wire, which started out in Jeremy, the God King's backyard uh, in his pool house, now owns two buildings and is expanding. And soon, of course, will actually uh, march on uh, San Diego and take it over by military force. So it really is, uh, it's been an amazing, amazing journey, uh, just incredible uh, success of this website and of these podcasts. It's just been terrific. And it's interesting because it makes me think back to the fact that, you know, I never conceived, I, I started out, I, we thought we would just do a pure cultural webcast. I was just going to talk about the culture from a political standpoint, but we realized the Daily Wire is a political site and it was attracting a lot of political folks and people who thought about politics first. And so slowly the show has morphed into a political, more of a political show than a pure cultural show. I never wanted this to be a headline show. I figure, you know, you're adults, you can go out, you can find the headlines yourself, you can find out what the news is. Nor did I want to say, here's what you should think about this, because I also think you're adults and you should be able to figure out for yourself what you think about things. But I, I feel I have a peculiar talent, especially in the conservative fold, which is that I'm a storyteller. I'm a lifelong storyteller. I've made my living at it. I've made a very particularly good living at it. I've had a lot of success with it. And so I think I'm pretty good at it. And because I'm a storyteller, I understand the way narrative works. I've worked very hard to understand the way narrative works. I, I sometimes talk about the fact that because I'm a crime writer, I can Try. I can gauge almost to the word when you will figure out the next twist, because you always want to figure out the twist before I reveal it. You always want to feel that you're smarter than I am, so I always arrange for you to figure it out a few pages before, and I can almost tell you the word on which you're going to figure that out. I'm good at what I do, and so are the people who deliver the news, and so are politicians, and so are academics, and so, of course, are the people in Hollywood, and all of those people are affecting the narrative and affecting the atmosphere in which we live. They affect the emotional atmosphere in which we live, uh, somebody said to me recently, nobody hears what you say, they just hear how you make them feel. And that is what they really are in charge of, is how they make them feel. And what I've always thought is you can come here every day, come here every day, and what I will do is try to shift your perspective so that you see how things, so that you have the chance to clear your mind of the narrative and see how things really are. That's what the show is about, basically. It's letting you step back and clear your mind, which I do every day, because all this news, all this information, all this entertainment is pouring in largely from a left-wing perspective, largely geared to creating certain effects in your mind, an effect of panic, an effect of crisis, an effect that, that you're always on the defense, that you're never on the offense, that nobody is serving you, and yet you're, and you're being ignored. All these things are fomented by this, the people who are very talented at telling this narrative. And so I try to break that out. I have to say, in the last couple of days, as I have stepped back, as I have stepped back and looked around, I was simply amazed at how much crap we have been dealt in these two years since Trump became president. Now, it was going on before this narrative, as I've said before, this narrative that Donald Trump, everybody was lovely, everything was rosy, we were traipsing around, we were all friends, and then Donald Trump came and everything went wrong. Not true. They have been doing this for years and years, decades and decades. They called Bush Hitler. They called Mitt Romney, the dog killing, you know, guy who stopped, remember, stuffing the women in binders. They have been dealing in crap for a long time, but Trump amps up everything. And one of the ways Trump fights back against them is by 
throwing crap right back at him. So now it's flying from all sides, and we are left kind of trying to figure out where is the, the real thing. But there is so much crap. I mean, think about the Russian collusion story. Think about that. Is there any chance that Robert Mueller is going to come out and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Donald was on the phone to Vladimir when Vlad meant on, you know, it was just love at first sight and they were talking, you know, how can we affect this election? Google has tampered with this election more than the Russians ever tampered with the last election. I remember when Max Boot was on. Max Boot is a smart guy, but I think he's lost his way. I do. I think he's, you know, Trump drives people crazy. And I think Max Boot is on there saying, oh, well, he stole the, the Russians stole and he colluded. You know, just it's just crap. It's nonsense. And it was their attempt. Their, they actually thought, remember yesterday we played that, that montage of news people saying, oh, you know, it's all over today. This is the beginning of the end. They actually thought they were going to rewrite the results of the election. They still may have that hope, but I don't think so. It's interesting how it's faded away. Interesting how the Kavanaugh, you know, Molly Hemingway did a piece in The Federalist just talking about crap, just talking about the amount of crap we've been dealing with. Molly Hemingway wrote a piece in The Federalist yesterday about where, where's, where's the Kavanaugh story? I mean, if Kavanaugh is a serial rapist, shouldn't there be a team of reporters following the story? I mean, after all, you know, no one is safe in the halls of the Supreme Court with that Kavanaugh running around. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is probably running around the, you know, the desk. I mean, she's just he's chasing her around because we cannot trust this guy. He's spiking the punch. They're lining up and, you know, having gang rapes and all this. That's what's now happening in the Supreme Court. Nobody's covering it. Why? Because the entire story was crap. It was just garbage. Even and even, you know, Me Too, I, I actually have sympathy with the Me Too movement, the core of the Me Too movement, the idea that women should be able to go to work and be treated politely and professionally. I don't think that means you can't look at a picture of Meghan Markle and say she's she's a cutie pie. I don't think that means that you can't flirt. I don't think that means you can't date. If, if people couldn't date at work, a lot of people wouldn't be married and have kids who were married and have kids today. But but. The Me Too movement was hijacked almost instantaneously. And what the Me Too movement really is, really is, is the dross of feminism. It's the out, uh, you know, the result of feminism, the result of the sexual revolution, all of this stuff. So now all of this is just garbage. And the latest thing is, of course, this anti-Semitism meme that the left is trying to play up as we come into the last days before the midterm, that somehow this tragedy that took place, this atrocity, I should call it, that took place in Pittsburgh is somehow the fault of Republicans or Donald Trump. The only people in America who support Israel, the only people where you don't have the BDS movement, the, you know, the uh, divest from Israel, the boycott uh, Israel movement. So Trump goes to Pittsburgh to comfort the people and to attend the funeral. And he complains about the coverage, all right? So I, I'm gonna read you, I'm gonna read you two op-eds, but before I get to this, I just, wanna, I just wanna show you where we stand with this. Trump complains about the coverage and he uh, makes a speech, I guess, in Florida, uh, where he talks about how they covered his trip to Pittsburgh. Let's cut six. Yesterday's visit to Pittsburgh was about coming together as a nation to comfort and to heal. After this day of unity and togetherness, I came home and sadly turned on the news and watched as the far-left media once again used tragedy to sow anger and division. Yeah. 
Sadly, they took a small group of protesters far away from where we were because we could not have been treated better, the First Lady and myself, but we're representing the presidency. And they did everything in their power to try to play it up and push people apart. That's what's happening. They're pushing people apart. It was fake and it was make-believe what they said. I came home, looked forward to seeing it, and it was sad. And when we talk about division, this is a big part of the division right there. All right, now I want you to keep that in mind, what he said, that they, he went there, he had a wonderful time, he was treated very well, but there were a couple of protesters and that's all that the news focused on and they did it to divide, okay? And remember how the press always reacts, oh my gosh, he's, he's killing us, he's stomping on us, he's a fascist, he's Stalin, we're enemies of the people, he's trying that soon we'll be all be dead. That, that's their reaction. But first, and I, so hold that in mind, but first we have to talk about hair club. Do you want a head of hair like mine? Of course you don't. That's not what you want. You want to keep your hair, cling to your hair, because you're greedy. You're greedy. You don't want to let it go into the cosmos. The cosmos wants your hair. You do not want to let it go. That's why you should go to Hair Club. They understand the emotions you're feeling, and they know the questions you have. I don't. I have no idea what's going through your mind, but Hair Club does. It's the leader in total hair solutions with a legacy of success for over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair or to learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylists, hair health experts, and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and get the most out of your hair. Go to hairclub.com slash Clavin today for a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair care kit, all valued over $300. That's hairclub.com slash Clavin for a free hair analysis and free hair care kit. Hairclub.com slash Clavin. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Don't let this happen to you only with Hair Club. I'm certain you will love Hair Club. And you'll just the first thing you're going to want to say to them is, look, I'm losing my hair. How do you spell Clavin? Here is the answer. You should check our sponsors. You'll love what you'll be saving. But you must remember, there are no ease in Clavin. There's jobs and flowers, crates and wine, and all the folks are raving. But you have to spell it right. There are no ease in Clavin. There's stamps and sheets and mattresses. There's magazines and shaving. But if you want the discount, You got that. I hope you, you, you got that down. Uh, all right. So remember, Trump is out there. He's complaining about the coverage. And oh, when he complains about the coverage, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. How horrible it is that he could complain about the coverage. He said, we went to Pittsburgh. We had a wonderful time. We were well treated. There were a few, there were a few protesters. That's all they concentrated on. Let's take a look at their coverage, a little bit of, uh, of their coverage. Uh, this is cut number four. First family following the Jewish custom of leaving stones to honor the dead. But it is a much different trip than the White House had planned. Just half a block away, this scene, neighbors shouting down the president. It's not about you! Let the families grieve! This is our neighborhood! You are not welcome here! 
Nearby, more than a thousand protesters carrying signs saying words matter. Stop encouraging hate and you are not welcome in Pittsburgh until you fully denounce white nationalism. Nearby, a rally protesting his trip. Among the dead, Daniel Stein, his nephew Stephen Halley telling me he's outraged at the president's suggestion just hours after the tragedy that the synagogue should have had an armed guard. Donald Trump should have just said, you know, our hearts and prayers go out for the people of Pittsburgh and everybody involved and kept his mouth shut. You felt like he was blaming this community. He is exactly what it felt like. It's a stab in the back. Trump's right. I mean, that was the that was the coverage. And you look. A thousand protesters? I would put that in a story. I would definitely mention that in a story. But you can get a thousand Democrats to show up and protest virtually anything, that the sky is blue. Oh, that's sexist. You know, I mean, that's the way the Democrats think. So you can always get it. But they go out of their way. They interview the guys. They show that woman on screen, you know, shouting, this is not about you. This is not about Here's something they didn't show, okay? And the reason, only reason I found this, this was tweeted out on the, on the internet. This is a, a handheld, piece of uh, film that somebody in the hospital, obviously part of the hospital staff came. If you can't see, if you're just listening, President Trump and, his, and Mrs. Trump and his entourage and Ivanka are all walking by and a bunch of the workers in the hospital call to them. All they want is to say thank you. Listen to this. Thank you, President Trump. Thank you, President Trump. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Great job. Thank you, Mr. President. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I shake your hand, sir? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, President Trump. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's a great gesture. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. This guy just got a better. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. A couple hours ago, we're waiting. Trump shakes your hand. There's no problem. Thank you all very much. Thank you for coming. Thank you, darling. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I love you, Ivanka. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President and Mrs. President. I love that. Somebody called Mrs. President. We love you. They all they want to do is touch him, shake his hand, say, and he went and he he stopped, brought the entourage over, shook their hands, told them what a great job they were doing, kidded around with the surgeon, saying, No, are you allowed to sh shake Trump's hand when you want your hands sterilized? You know. They wanted, believe me, they wanted to show that on the networks. They really did. They wanted to lead with that on the networks, but the dog ate it and, you know, it just, they got lost and their car crashed and they ran out of gas and they just couldn't get that on. But they could get on a long interview with one protester show, somebody shouting, they could get that on. Trump, it, it's literally true. And all of that, it, all of that is just to, and to emphasize that so much of what we're seeing is crap is meant to show this kind of onslaught of protest. This, the resistance is so big, it's so great. You know, the resistance is real. I'm not saying that that's an illusion. I'm just saying that the resistance is real and then this echo chamber broadcasts, it, it makes it a big deal. But here is what, where the true garbage comes in, is what caused, first of all, bad as this guy is and bad as anti-Semitism is, and you know how I feel about that, Bad as it is, this is one guy, one crazy guy who did a bad thing. 
and you can find meaning in it, and it's always worthwhile discussing where this stuff comes from, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But you know, you know that this is, some, that this is not America. This is an important thing to remember. This is not America. This is not what America is like. This is a bad guy, and bad guys have meaning, but it's not the, the big deal. What is the problem? What is the problem? Well, well, it's got to be about Fox. It's Fox News. It's all, you know, it's, conser- it's the existence of conservative talk. It is conservative speech that makes this happen. Here is a montage of our media spewing the garbage that this somehow emanates from conservative speech. Fox News and that crowd, Breitbart and Infowars and the Daily Caller and Republican congressmen, they have been vilifying George Soros for years and basically because George Soros is a rich Jew. And so when they talk about Soros, they're talking about a rich Jew who's in control of everything, or when they talk about globalists, which is the term that Trump right, prefers. Right. This, this cooked up, phony caravan story that's promoted by Donald Trump and Fox News, members of Congress attaching that uh, to, to, to George Soros and, and making it sound like, again, an anti-Semitic trope. This caravan that Fox News and the president keep talking about, this guy had uh, memes of it. Is the Fox channel to blame for any of the violence and the heated rhetoric that we have seen this past week. We do know that the hate crime coincided with a rise in hateful language, from the Infowars fringe to Fox's primetime lineup. The propaganda industry that she commands with the vile president that she serves, abetted by Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and Breitbart and Newsbusters and Judicial Watch and all the rest of them have blood on their hands. So this, this is not just crap, it's, it's crappy crap. It's crappity crap crap, because it's two kinds of crap, all right? The first kind is the rhetoric thing. That, let's, let's deal with that first. Let's deal with this, that the evil rhetoric on the right is the problem in this country. Here is from PJ Media, my pals at PJ Media, here is just a little montage, just to answer this, of mainstream media discussion of this president. And, this is, and we've been listening to this now for two years. And again, I have to repeat this, it did not start with Donald Trump. We got it from Mitt Romney, one of the nicest people who ever ran for president. We got it for George W. Bush, a decent man, an honorable man. And you know, he made a lot of mistakes, so you can always criticize him, but we got this kind of rhetoric with him, that Bush, Bush lied, people died, that sort of thing. Here is the, just talking about rhetoric, just isolating the meme of rhetoric. Here is the MS, a little sample, a little sample of the mainstream media talking about this, the president of the United States. And remember this, remember this, when they're talking about the president of the United States, they're talking about you. They're talking about the people who voted for him. They're talking about the people who support even some of what he does. They're talking about those people that they never talk to out in the hinterlands, out in the flyover country. They're talking about you. So here, just listen to this for just a sec. His erratic behavior, his ignorance could pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. President's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. This radical group of right-wingers who've perverted our democracy and really are doing what they can to ruin our country. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant 
lie. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. Yeah. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men, <laughs> and it does, and what Trump has tapped into is evil. We're going to see if this reign lasts for 30 days, or two years, or a thousand-year Reich. What Trump does with the power that people give him is turns it to evil. Here we are after the carnage, and this man... This moral monster is playing to those base instincts. It's not even a question of whether it's presidential behavior or not. It's not minimally human behavior. Oh, God. <laughs> Tone down your rhetoric, you evil moral monster Hitler person. It's, you minimally human Hitler monster person. Stop that, that the rhetoric already. Don't you understand? It's divisive, you Donald Trump Hitler moral creepy monster evildoer type. You know, I mean, I mean, so that that goes without saying. And again and again and again, I have to keep repeating this. Trump is the answer to these guys. He is not the cause of what they're doing. He, they have amped it up because he's driven them insane by calling them out, by exposing them, not just to the country. It's, it's not that. He's exposed them to themselves. That's why they're so upset. He, he, they know, I mean, we all know who we are. We all know our flaws. We all know, every single one of us, when somebody says to us, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, we know when they're right. We know the minute they say it, it goes, bing, you bet, I bet I will lay any odds that all the people talking on that know exactly what they're doing. When Trump says you guys are fake news, it's, it's the bell goes off in their head and that's when the denial starts and that's when the crazy rhetoric comes out. But remember, they were doing this first. Trump is the people's answer to them. And I don't always approve of Donald Trump. You know that. I certainly don't approve when he's dishonest or when he's uh, rude any of that, but I understand. I understand that he is the only way. He is the only way the people could have a voice as loud as the media. And remember, the media keeps saying, well, he's the president. He should be better than us. He should be better than us. The point is, the point is the people do not have their echo chamber, and so they sent Trump. And as I've said before, the media is lucky they didn't show up in person. They're, lu they're lucky they only sent Trump. All right, so that's the rhetoric part of the crap, and we're going to deal with the other part in just a minute, but first I have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com and subscribe. It is now one of the best deals you can get for a lousy 10 bucks a month or a lousy 100 bucks for the year. It is really a tremendous deal. Not only with your yearly subscription do you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which please, I hope, I pray you're going to need after this coming election. Let, let us hope. But not only do you get that, you get to ask questions on the mailbag. You get to ask questions of me. You get to ask questions of Shapiro. And just for laughs, you can ask him of Knowles. Just, you know, it's like shooting a man's feet to watch him dance. But you, you can get all that and another kingdom tomorrow, episode four. Four, I believe it is. Am I right, guys? Is it episode four that is, is available to everybody tomorrow? Yeah. I think so. All right. So that will be available to everybody tomorrow. But if you subscribe, you get it on Monday and you get the full bells and whistles with the pictures and all that stuff. And you get to see, actually stare into the lovely, lovely countenance of Michael Knowles. Okay, that's not so bad. We'll, we'll, re, we'll re, uh, refund a little bit of your 10 bucks if you have to look at Knowles too much. But uh, come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe, and you can listen to the rest of the show. All right. So the other side, the other part of the crappity crap crap, the other the crappity part of it is this old, old, old left-wing playbook. The left-wing playbook 
that of protecting people by their identity from the consequences of their actions if, if they are leftist. Because you're not, it's not really black people they defend. It's not really women they defend. It's not really gay people they defend. It's only leftism. If you're, believe me, Brandon Strzok, who's running the walk away movement, is, is going to be slandered, liable. They'll find anything they can on him. They'll go after him all the time. Believe me, they're not going to suddenly say, oh, he's gay. So criticizing him, therefore, is gay. They don't say, oh, Mark Levin, he's Jewish. Criticizing him, Ben, he's Jewish. He's criticizing him, is therefore uh, anti-Semitic. No, no, no. They do not say that. But if you're Barack Obama, suddenly your blackness becomes a magical shield and anything that touches it is, in fact, racist. I mean, that is their old playbook. And now they're pulling it out with the Jews. And that is laughable considering, considering the anti-Israeli talk that has come out of the left wing and exclusively out of the left wing. And, you know, I, I won't say that. Anti-Semitism knows no politics. Anti-Semitism is evil. Evil knows no politics. We all have evil people. But as I've said before, the evil on the right, it's the alt-right. It's our extremists who we reject. They call them alt because it's alternative. It's not the right. The BDS movement, the, uh, I always think, I always get confused. Is that the one where you dress up in leather and tie people up? Or is that the one where you just dump on Israel? I can't, I can't remember what it is. It's boycott and divest. That's what it is. To, uh, to boycott and divest Israel is a mainstream left-wing movement. But listen, I, I picked out Samantha Bee because she was the most absurd version of this. But listen to Samantha Bee tell you all the ways that you are suddenly, nobody cared about anti-Semitism on the left. Nobody cared about it until they thought, oh, we can play up these dead people. Oh, there's dead people. Look, 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 look. We can get some votes with dead people. Bring in the dead people. Let's hold them up. Hold up the dead people. And accuse the right of this. Listen to Samantha Bee, the most absurd version of this. Anything you say now makes you an anti-Semite. But the truth is, the Republican Party tolerates anti-Semitism and benefits from it. Mainstream conservatives would never say anything negative about Jewish people outright, but there are other words they use, like coastal elites, globalists, Hollywood liberals, or John Leibowitz. And currently, the biggest, <laughs> loudest dog whistle is George Soros. George Soros. This, this is killing me. This is killing me. George Soros. George Soros gives billions and billions of dollars to organizations that are meant to open up borders, to destroy nationalism. He wants a global world. You know, I, I have to say, I, I will say this about George Soros. George Soros grew up, uh, obviously, in the Nazi regime and actually worked as a, as a kid uh, for the Nazis. I can't remember what exactly he was doing. He was identifying Jews or something like this. And I've never held that against him. He was a kid under a complete... Nobody can know how they would behave uh, under that regime. It is that interview, that one interview he gave where he said he's never had any problem. It was one of the best jobs he ever had. It was kind of a sick, creepy thing to say. But I'm not even, I'm not even passing judgment on that. But I, I will say it is as if he has turned himself into, he has turned himself into the stereotype that Hitler would level, levy on Jews, you know, that he's like a banker and he's a, uh, uh, a globalist and all these things. So he has made himself into that. But that does not excuse. Remember, this is the guy. This is the guy who said uh, the, the greatest obstacle, I'm quoting from memory, but it was the greatest obstacle to stability and peace in the world is the United States of America. That was because he hated the war on terror. This is a guy who funds organizations meant to destroy 
conservatism meant to destroy borders. This is a guy who crashes currencies. Attacking him is not anti-Semitism unless, unless attacking every Jew. If, it, if saying that you disagree with Ben Shapiro is anti-Semitism, then, then okay, everybody is protected. But it's only leftists. It's only, only leftists. And let's, let's not forget, let's not forget how Harry Reid used the fact that he couldn't get sued on the Senate floor to go after the Koch brothers who give a fraction, a fraction of what Soros gives uh, and, and all they want is free markets. All they care about is free markets. They're libertarian. They're not particularly conservative. The Koch brothers, just, let's just go back down memory lane. Let's listen to how Harry Reid demonized them. The Kochs want everyone to believe they're not the ones rigging the system to benefit themselves and their wealthy friends. The Koch brothers are spending their vast wealth holding newspaper and television interviews on their propaganda campaign. But in spite of all their efforts, this Koch media tour has failed to bury the one simple truth. The Koch brothers are trying to buy America. During an interview yesterday, the scales fell away once again and revealed the Koch's true intentions in justifying his and his brother's efforts to inject hundreds of millions of dollars in a conservative political campaigns, in fact, almost a billion. Charles Koch said, quote, I expect something in return, close quote. The Kochs are getting plenty in return. So far, they bought a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a government shutdown, announced as Speaker of the House, a shuttered export-import bank, and a Republican presidential field, which nearly every candidate kowtows to these billionaires. So this is part of what uh, <coughs> Kim Strassel, the Wall Street Journal, called the intimidation game. You know, it, it, when a, when a top senator, I mean, he was the head of the Senate at that point, the majority leader at that point, when the a senator like that stands up and vilifies you on the Senate floor, you can't sue him, but you, it does cost you money. It costs you business. It, it costs your good name. Your good name is under uh, review. I'm not, by the way, the Koch brothers aren't Jewish. I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is he was allowed to demonize, to demonize guys who were just contributing their money to political causes they believed in, which were mostly libertarian, free market causes. He demonized them. But if we say, hey, you know what? George Soros is really a bad operator. He's a bad operator. Suddenly, his Jewishness, which of course is just nominal, he's not actually a practicing Jew, suddenly his Jewishness is the only possible reason we could be criticizing him. Let me just read you just ex a little excerpt from two op-eds that both ran in the paper today, one in the New York Times, one in the Wall Street Journal. I strongly recommend, I strongly recommend any liberals who are listening to this, just one day, Read the op-eds in the New York Times and read the op-eds in the Wall Street Journal to see the difference in tone between the left and the right. There are a couple of people in the, in the New York Times who are all right. Uh, Duthat is all right. There are a couple of people, but the, most of their columnists are screaming eight-year-old girls who've just seen a mouse. That's the way that, you know, oh, it's, what was the one that uh, <coughs> the um, uh, John... Um, if, Oh, I can't remember his name right now, but he, they ran a column yesterday uh, saying hate is on the ballot. Hate is on the ballot. I mean, I just I just love that. Hate 
is on the ballot. You know, like that's that's what you're voting on. That's the level of tone. And just listen to these two different, the logic, the logic level in these two different op-eds. Here's the one from the New York Times. How vilification of George Soros moved from the fringes to the mainstream. On both sides of the Atlantic, a loose network of activists and political figures on the right have spent years seeking to cast Mr. Soros not just as a well-heeled political opponent, but also as the personification of all they detest. Employing barely coded anti-Semitism, they have built a warped portrayal of him as the mastermind of a globalist movement, a left-wing radical who would undermine the established order and a proponent of diluting the white Christian nature of their societies through immigration. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. All of that is true, except for the fact the white Christian nature of their societies. Nobody is caring about that. It is about unchecked immigration. That's all it's about. The, the, it is changing the culture and the tone and the, uh, of the country and giving away its services to people who are just breaking in. And they have a quote from somebody who says, he's a banker, he's Jewish, he gives to Democrat. He's sort of a perfect storm for vilification of the right here and in Europe. So that is the logic on the left. That is the logic on the left. And remember, George Soros is the guy who says the main obstacle to a stable and just world is the United States of America. That's the way they think. Now they've got a guy who is, I, I think he's a bad person. I think he is a, a, a kind of a kook, a narcissistic kook. He himself has said he has a messiah complex. Now they've got a guy and they can link this to this killing in Pittsburgh. That's the logic, right? Criticize a man, happens to have Jewish blood, therefore it's, you're an anti-Semite, therefore you are responsible for the killings in Pittsburgh. That's the logic on the left. Wall Street Journal, the many faces of Jew hatred from Ruth Wiss. Uh, instead of prompting a serious inquiry into the ideology that fuels the murder of Jews, the atrocity seems to be reinforcing a misconception that can only worsen the problem. Anti-Semitism is not syn synonymous with Hitlerism, which is the only form of anti-Semitism that has gone down in military defeat. Anti-Semitism is a politics of misdirected blame, and Americans must be sure to avoid its trap. What could be worse than the specter of Nazism here in America? In fact, it is politically comforting to cast the, this killer uh, in the light of, of Nazism. Unlike in Germany, where the attacks on Jews were launched by the Fuhrer, the head of the country, our head of government ordered the full press of law enforcement to prosecute the gunman. Unlike in Germany, where the SS, essentially a police force, directed and fomented the attacks on Jews, here, our policemen, four policemen, were shot trying to save these people, and many more ran to the scene. Always remember, always remember that, that when they start talking about Hitler, when they start talking about this country is, is Nazi, uh, you know, fascist, always remember that that is the difference. The authorities here are on the side of justice most of the time. And certainly the cop on the beat, certainly our president, certainly the, the main actors in this are looking to do what's right. Finally, she says, the most discouraging feature, she starts to talk about how anti-Semitism comes in all shapes, as I said, right-wing and left-wing, but she talks about the divestment movement in Israel. She says the most discouraging feature of the anti-Israel brand of anti-Semitism is its penetration of Western societies, including the U.S. That a single shooter wants to kill the Jews is less dangerous to this country than Louis Farrakhan's smiling designation of Jews as termites broadcast to a vast audience. On Twitter, by the way, and he still hasn't been taken down from Twitter, though my pal Gay pa Patriot was taken down for being, what, a gay patriot. That's what. 
with a vicious movement to boycott Israel and extension of the Arab boycott launched in 1945, the incursion of fanatical anti-Israel politics into the American campus and the Democratic Party is a threat, not to the Jews alone, but to what they represent in liberal democracy. Even if you disagree with this, even if you disagree with this, it's logic. She's talking about something that is real. Everything they do on the left is politics and it is all so much crap. Russia collusion. Russia collusion, just overturning, trying to overturn the election. Why is that even a story? Why has it been a story for two years? Why have we listened to person after person saying, oh yeah, wait till the real story breaks? Brett Kavanaugh, believe all women. Why aren't they covering it? Why is a serial rapist allowed to be chasing Ruth Bader Ginsburg around the you know, Supreme Court uh, bench, uh, you know, which I'm sure is what's happening right this minute. I'm sure Elena Kagan is like, oh my God, goodness, unleashed has this monster been upon our lives. Why did it disappear? Crap. It's crap. Sex abuse, real, but it's a left-wing problem. Even Trump's worst attitudes toward women are all left-wing. He is a creature of the left in many ways in this way. You know, it's, it is just all of it. it. All of it has been political. You have to step back because the, t- the tone in this country is toxic is toxic, but it only involves a small number of people. It only involves a small number of people. Most people every day are getting along, having a good time. Most people are not shouting at their congressmen. Most people are not rioting and screaming in the streets. And all of the people who are, are left wing. Most people are not blaming each other as Don Lemon did uh, uh, on the basis of race. Most people in this country, this is, as I've said before, the least racist country. You have to step back. You have to stay calm. You have to remember, you have to remember that this is a narrative that is being created mostly by one side, and you have to see things clearly or else they will drive you insane. All right, stuff I like. Like an old familiar snowman, he's a jolly happy soul. So the list of all his likes is just about There it is, folks. That's one of the older ones, right? Are we ever going to pick one of these, or are we just going to let people keep sending them in? I guess uh, we're going to see if you send more in. So have you got more stuff I like theme songs? You know, I've always thought thought we should do a little bit more of a production for stuff I like. Now it's become, you know, we've just been auditioning, auditioning ones. We just haven't found the exactly right one. Here's a guy I want to talk about. If you like spy fiction, if you like spy novels, if you like um, John le Carré, You know, there are writers, there are many, many writers who are absolutely terrific and for one reason or another are are overlooked, do not become as famous. Certainly, you know, it's not about bestsellers because a lot, most of the great writers don't actually become bestsellers. Most of the great writers kind of are are appreciated, but they don't sell millions of copies or they have one bestselling book or something like that. Most bestsellers are beach reads. But some people are overlooked on purpose, and I think Charles McCarry is one of those. Charles McCarry is a great, a terrific spy novelist who I've just finally read after a long time. And he is, when I say he's a conservative, what I mean is he's pro-American and anti-communism. 
And I think he has a lot of conservative values. And I think for that reason, he has never achieved the fame that he obviously, obviously deserves. He's now in his 80s. Uh, he has been discovered by plenty of people. Um, the, he's been called the Dean of American Spy Writers. Uh, he was, in fact, uh, a, an undercover operative in the Central Intelligence Agency. I just read his book, uh, Last Supper, which is one of his Paul Christopher uh, books. Paul Christopher is his repeating character. Um, it's, it was fantastic. It is fantastic. It's basically a history of the Cold War seen from this spy, Paul Christopher. It's a remarkable book, just a wonderful read, literary, intelligent, well done, exciting, full of great action, uh, full of great characters, um, remarkable characters. I really, I cannot recommend it highly enough as a an entertaining piece of literature. Uh, just uh, The Last Supper by Charles McCary, a virtually I won't call him unknown. The experts know who he is. My pal Otto Penzler, who's probably the greatest crime uh, editor uh, in America, he know he called him. Uh, what did he call him? Uh, he said he's uh, pr produced poetic masterpieces. Um, but Charles McCary, The Last Supper. I'm going to go on and read more of his books. He is just just a wonderful writer, and I can't recommend him highly uh, enough. He is definitely stuff. I like. All right, we will have a show tomorrow. The Clavenless weekend is not upon us because I was here, not here Monday. We will have a show, a Friday show. Plus, as I say, another Kingdom's new episode four will be available to everyone. So you'll have Claven coming out of your ears, which is where he should be. By golly, everybody needs Claven in his ears. That's why I'm talking into this microphone. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.